0: From 20th Century Fox comes Screen Dive, the first podcast developed and produced by a major Hollywood studio. So, since this is about the movies, I always kind of wanted to do that preview guy voice. Screen Dive reexamines some of our most beloved films through new interviews and behind-the-scenes insights with the artists who brought them to life. Guests explore iconic titles like *The Sandlot*, *Planet of the Apes*, *Deadpool*, and *The Devil Wears Prada*. Listen to Screen Dive on October 30th on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever else that you like to listen. All right, so the plan for today, we realized actually that we've got some other stuff to get to, namely talking about some of the rookie scale options with that deadline coming up. Uh, We have to talk about that today, but we are going to get to another four, 15 and 60. We're going to do the Lakers, Spurs, Grizz, and Suns, starting right now with the LA Lakers. What are their fundamentals? And, And these stats are as of Monday morning.
1: As of Monday morning, the Lakers are 2-4. and Their plus 1.2 net rating is good for 14th in the league. They are 7th in offense, 21st in defense, and 538's projection, their Carmelo projection, of the Lakers is 45 wins, which would put them 7th in the Western Cubs.
0: And where I wanted to start with them is going down a rabbit hole of what their pace looks like. And I was inspired to do this by a tweet by Derek Blackport on opening night in which he noted that the Lakers averaged 11.5 seconds per possession on offense in their first Portland game. or their first game of the season against Portland, I should say. They've only played them once. And he noted that that was a faster pace than any game by any team last season. And of course, with pace being way up, we didn't know that would be the case in the first night of the season, although the preseason was way up. And that really has continued. They are taking shots, or I shouldn't say taking a shot, but they are, their possessions last only 8.8 seconds off of a defensive rebound. That is number one in the NBA. I mean, you think about that. That is, they're taking their shot, With 15 seconds on the shot clock after a defensive rebound. That is crazy. And they are scoring incredibly well. 1.22 points per possession off opponent misses. For comparison, last year, they were number two in the NBA in terms of having their possessions last the shortest amount of time after a miss. 10.4 seconds but their points per possession was not great. It was only 25th. They did not have a good offense overall last year. They are particularly blinding in transition. Only 6.6 seconds does their average possession last after an opponent turnover. I I should have said after a turnover, not in transition. This is obviously all transition, (laughs) most of it.
1: Uh, As a clarification, do you know if that's live ball turnovers, dead ball turnovers, or both? uh,
0: I assume it's live ball. It would, let me see if there's a clarification there. I'm getting all these from uh, Mike Boye's excellent site, uh, Unpredictable. Yes, this only includes possessions after live ball turnovers and after a make includes possession starting after dead ball turnovers those are somewhat similar though generally teams will score a little bit better after a make actually than they will after a dead ball turnover it's a slightly more fluid situation after a make because you can just end on the ball immediately so that is incredibly fast uh, as well they're scoring 1.54 points per possession off of turnovers live ball turnovers which is fourth in the nba that again we're very early here so you're going to see a more extreme distribution but this is crazy fast numbers here and then overall, they are at 12.5 seconds per possessions. That is tied for first. And I think this is a much better indication of pace than the overall pace figures because obviously, if you have a good defense, you're going to be holding the other team to slower shots. That's why Golden State, a lot of times, you know, they are usually near the top of the league in pace rankings. But offensively, they're usually the top team or I think they're second this year because they force opponents to take a long time when they're on offense. Another thing that is really encouraging for this team is that they're turning it over on only 12.2% of their possessions. That's fourth best in the NBA. And especially when you consider all the running that they do, because it's so fast-paced, you have to make such quick decisions. Transition can actually lead to more turnovers than a half-court possession a lot of the time. And it's also really impressive for the, the entire league that with pace up turnovers are so far down this year and again we've talked a lot about the pace but just to give it to you in the context of these statistics i mentioned the lakers 12.5 seconds per possession on offense last year the fastest team was golden state with 13.6 so it's over a second faster the lakers last year were third with 13.7 nine teams this year so far faster than the fastest team on offense last year
1: that is absolutely remarkable, and when you think that the Lakers are seventh in defense despite adding LeBron, I mean they didn't have a and having a lot of different pieces. I mean so seventh, they kept a lot of pieces in, too. But seventh
0: in offense. In offense, oh, yeah. Okay. That
1: like the fact that they they're they're that productive despite having this turnover. I mean I would expect this to be a part of their identity moving forward, and that to me that's really impressive
0: want to get into some of the observations for their game over the weekend against san antonio and then we can transition uh, into san antonio after that lonzo ball retained his starting position over rajon rondo though rondo played more in the fourth quarter the lakers did continue to get a lot of shots at the rim uh which is not what the spurs usually give up uh and overall the lakers are taking 38.8 percent of their shots around the rim in the, the half court which is a crazy number considering you're not even counting transition and that also doesn't count post-ups so they don't do a ton of that and they're also number two in the nba shooting 63 percent around the basket on non-post-ups and and to be clear on that stat that's from synergy because the nba hadn't updated very quickly on that when i was doing it but it it gives a little bit of a different view this is actually just subjectively counting it as an around the basket play without post-ups so it's generally going to be offensive rebounds drives to the baskets dump-offs uh, but it's also in the half court right so you're taking away kind of transition runouts and it's a little bit better of an indication of how much you're actually getting to the rim and how much you're finishing when the opposing defense is set and that is a crazy number to get 39 percent of your shots at the rim just in half court sets and then to still usually if teams are like keep attacking the rim like that it's because the other team is adjusting you think you know one of the criticisms of this what lakers roster is all oh, they don't have enough shooting so you'd think that they'd just be like ramming into a brick wall but they also just have some really good finishers on the team lebron of course uh, is maybe the best uh, perimeter playing finisher in nba history um some observations though directly from that spurs game jonathan williams has been a nice story as a two-way guy uh, i think he's brought defensive energy haven't seen him a ton as a switch defender yet uh but certainly you know an effort guy it has been solid on the pick and roll offensively you know they really just don't have a backup center on this roster i think they thought they were going to go with kuzma at backup center it seems clear now that they've hemorrhaged points so they're not comfortable playing him as the backup center he could maybe play in those units but they got to play lebron then as the center and you know they only want to do that at the end of games where i think he's been pretty effective guarding these post players uh, as we knew who he could be but Williams has had to guard Lamarcus Aldridge he's had to guard Nikola Jokic and he's completely failed in that role not a surprise he's a rookie at 6'9 230 and he's just getting bludgeoned there was a sequence where in the span of three possessions Aldridge posts him up really deep gets a foul post them up really deep double team give up a three post them up really get really deep again gets a foul and then they had to just bring JaVale back at that point and you know JaVale's not an amazing post defender in his own right but it does seem like you know I liked the idea of going centerless but they just aren't getting enough with kuzma playing as a traditional center and lebron it just probably isn't smart to tax him that way you know except at the end of game that this yeah. early on so so they need right. something else and, there I, I think defensively
1: and, and it, as potent as their offense has been i see it at other moments too where they just need somebody who does center things like setting good screens and you know creating separation like lebron's a good screener too when he has that opportunity but he has the ball in his hands a lot and so there are times when i, I just sit there and go oh yeah they could they could use that and the good thing for the Lakers there is that is the easiest position to upgrade in season because not only are there just guys available but also the buyout market should be very strong with big men this yes. year not necessarily like guys who can play in the playoffs but people who can be innings eaters kind of the basketball equivalent of that during the regular season so you don't have to put those miles on LeBron and sure there is a concern that they will ideally need somebody to do those things in the playoffs as well but if this is kind of the gap year theory that I've been espousing then that that's not as big a deal. I mean, sure, they'd love to win a championship if the opportunity presents itself, but they're not really that team right now, as much fun as they've been to watch.
0: Some other Spurs game observations, Rondo returned, still looks more aggressive with the three-pointer, like he hit a three when they went under uh, when he got the ball uh, on a DHO. I don't think he's the best option for them at the end of games, though. I, I thought he was really caused some problems to the Lakers. At the end of this game, he got beaten by Bellinelli easily on a cut. Uh, he was, Rondo was involved in another miscommunication to give up a, a backdoor to Bellinelli. I'm not sure whose fault that was, but Rondo was involved in the miscommunication. He did have a nice backdoor pass to LeBron, but then there were a couple of possessions. One where they ran a, a LeBron-Rondo pick and roll, and then Rondo just didn't get guarded. He tried to drive and just got swatted out of bounds off his own hand for a turnover by Aldridge. And then he had a play at the end. Where they're in a need of three situation. He was on the floor for some reason, inbounding. I don't know why you would want him out there when you're they had no timeouts left, and they're down three with, you know, I think it was 15 seconds left or so. So he he inbounds the ball to LeBron. His man goes and double teams LeBron immediately to take away the three-pointer. He cuts to the rim. They throw it to him, he's wide open under the basket. At that point, you probably just take the two-pointer because he didn't really have anyone open for a three, and the Spurs did a really nice job of just You know, not seeing, oh, no, there's someone open at the room. We got to leave our guy at the three-point line. He almost travels, doesn't take the layup. You know, part of the reason we're so anti-quick two is that the quick two is not assured. You know, if you could say, yes, there's a 100% chance of getting a quick two, then I would be much more into taking it and then playing the foul game. And there was enough time to come back. The other way uh so he probably should have taken that layup he didn't uh and there are a few other possessions where you know he ran a pick and roll it went absolutely nowhere and then they didn't even get it to lebron in that possession until there was five left on the shot clock he had to take an impossible fadeaway three um so ball hasn't been great they've been better statistically with rondo on the floor than with ball on the floor so that's something to watch but i do think ball is uh, the better fit Uh, and especially is just so much better than Rondo defensively.
1: Is there anything else Laker-centric, but I want to do the Spurs kind of stats so we don't Uh, forget, because I know we always do. Let me
0: see if I have any more notes here. The very last play of that game was interesting because, you know, I'm always carping about how bad guys are at intentionally missing free throws. Hart actually did an awesome job. He just aimed for... The right side of the rim where lebron was popovich did a good job because they had no timeouts left hardy gotten fouled he makes the first free throw so they're down two but they didn't really have time to play the foul game at that point because they're out of timeouts so Hart misses the free throw to lebron's side he's lebron starts to like shove Powell under the rim and Powell just elbows him right in the throat and then lebron gets knocked down Powell falls over lebron and then lebron ends up getting called for the foul that probably should have been uh a loose ball foul on gasol and nobody saw it uh so the the lakers maybe lebron should have been shooting free throws there i'm, I'm pretty sure they were in the bonus at that time so they kind of got robbed that time uh
1: and we all got robbed of another experience of lebron shooting clutch free throws against the san Antonio. Spurs this season. oh
0: yeah no I, and i mean the lakers you know they've had these two clutch losses to the spurs although they were down towards the end of regulation in both those games they're two and four they also had the loss against portland had the loss against houston those were both kind of you know they were around most of the game but ended up losing by like 10 and their numbers look okay right now because they just absolutely throttled phoenix on wednesday last week and that's what everyone seems to be doing to phoenix as we will get to but yeah let's uh turn to the spurs now
1: as of this recording, San Antonio 3-2, and two. they are 21st in net rating with a negative 6.6. And this is just surreal to say. They're 8th in offense, and they are 30th in defense. Yeah. 530 projects them to win 37 games, which would tie with the Clippers for 10th.
0: Yeah, and we'll get to some of our observations from this game in a second, but like, I just don't know what the hell this team is right now, just looking at their statistical profile and watching them mean, with DeRozan, with Aldridge, I mean, those are two just very interesting players, guys who work in ISO a lot, but never turn the ball over, you know, not amazing passers. DeRozan is not a great defensive player. They're both players who don't really have a ton of analogs in terms of their type in the league but the Spurs team could always be trusted to defend and they're really not doing that in any incarnations right now with Aldridge at center without Aldridge at center and they're they're pretty much neutral with Aldridge and DeRozan on the floor or either of them on the floor but they're still you know crazy offense crazy defense in those times and then with those guys off the floor they're really struggling to score another crazy stat for these guys 31% offensive rebounds that would have led the league last year 73% defensive rebounds that's like very close to the bottom of the league this is a team that has always been an awesome defensive rebounding team and we haven't seen that so far this season part of that is opposition I mean they've played the same team twice in the Lakers of course they again you know they don't really seem to have much of an identity Aldridge plays more of his minutes at center but he started next to Pertle in the season opener and your opening night center has now played only 3 games and 34 minutes total You only played 8 minutes that night that's it's that's interesting to see i thought Pertle could actually help them uh but you know they've to have some minutes with Aldridge at center then they, they're going to play Palace, so I guess that they're not going to play Purtle now.
1: They also did another starting lineup change in this in the game against the Lakers on on Saturday, where they started Dante Cunningham and Davis Bertans. Rudy Gay technically came off the bench; he still started the second half and played 33 minutes. But again, that's Popovich doing something different
0: yeah another interesting thing about this team and remember this is non-post-ups is that same synergy stat i talked about with the lakers so with aldridge he'll get deep post position a a lot of times so this understates things a little bit but they are last in the percentage of their shots taken around the basket in the half court for non-post-ups only 27 percent of their shots fall into that category and that's like you know they're with the way they're offensive rebounding i don't want to say it's a surprise that it's that low because they've been hitting three-point shots but they don't have a ton of spacers and they not getting up a lot of three-point shots and then Aldridge and DeRozan are two like the highest volume mid-range guys and you could throw Rudy Gay into that category too he's actually had a a pretty nice start to the season and looks I noticed this in the Lakers game. He looks like he's got like pretty damn good pop. Like he's, I would say he's actually probably one of the most successful, if not the most successful, Achilles tendon rehab projects that I can remember in the last ten years or so. I mean, he looks like he never had that injury. Basically,
1: it's wonderful to see. And yeah, the pop pop is a good way to put it. Where he he's getting off getting off well and getting to his spots offensively. I mean, he, I, I've been I've been really impressed with him. If you if I didn't know that the injury had happened, you wouldn't notice as much his efficiency numbers. Part of that is also playing with the Spurs. And I mean this offense has been very efficient so far. He's I mean, obviously we're in a small sample size here, five games, but this is so far the most efficient season of his career. And that's a a, a really good thing for San Antonio. And I I wonder how much DeJounte Murray's cause not only did DeJounte Murray get hurt, but he got hurt kind of like as this team was figuring out who they were. And their defensive identity, I mean he was so big in terms of keying like blunting blunting the tip of the spears is the way the phrase that i usually use here and they don't have a lot especially compared to most other spurs teams they don't have as many guys that can clean up mistakes and so there's just more mistakes now than there have been before so i think their defense is going to be markedly better than it is right now but i'm getting closer to believing that san antonio isn't going to be because like last year popovich's smoke and mirrors was it it was such a game changer for me in terms of just okay they're they're going to be great no matter what and they were fourth last year despite co Why missing a lot of the year? Danny Green being not Danny Green for a lot of last year, and so you just kind of thought, oh, that's going to continue forever. This personnel is so much worse defensively that I think it's time to recalibrate at least a little bit, not all the way, but at least a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you look at their guard line right now: Forbes, Mills, Bellinelli, DeRozan are the four guards who are getting tick on this team. Not a particularly inspiring group on the perimeter, and you know they don't really have a wing stopper. Cunningham, you mentioned he started. But, you know, he's not really dynamic in that role. And and he's really just not good enough offensively. And so they don't really have... Because remember, a lot of their strategy used to be, okay, maybe we have these heavy like big guys out here. But at least what we're going to do is we're going to get over screens and we're going to force you to go all the way to the rim. And you, that Houston series two years ago is the ultimate example of that. We're going to force you to go to the rim. We're going to have guys waiting there. We're going to make you take an inefficient floater and we're going to rear view contests from behind. You're just never quite going to get comfortable getting to these shots. You're either going to go into these big guys at the rim or you're going to have to take a bid ranger with a guy kind of on your back. And, and it's, you know, you're not going to feel comfortable. And, and now with DeRozan, Mills, Forbes, I mean, they're just, they don't have the size against bigger players those guys don't really get over screens and so they can't really force teams into those sorts of difficult shots in the half court Uh, some
1: smaller observations from this
0: game yeah wait can i give a
1: quick stat on that because i think this is important so this is from cleaning the glass San Antonio had they were giving up in the ten highest proportion of floaters basically every single year. every, every single year that including the glasses records so that's all the way back to oh three, oh four. They and most of those years they've been in the Th- three or four lowest like highest proportion of floaters this year eighth lowest proportion of floaters and they're they've gone in granted this part's going to change they've gone in 51 percent of the time we talked about that a little bit in the clipper section on sunday's sunday night's broadcast about how you know that that is something that can shift around a lot but teams are getting to the basket more they're getting to they're getting to floaters less and they're making a much higher proportion of the shots at the rim than they did in prior years
0: Yeah, all- that is not great again with the sample size issues but with their personnel you know you start to understand maybe why it's been that way so far and while it may regress it may not be a strength for this team as it has been in the past so a few smaller observations here the closing lineup against the lakers mills forbes demar DeRozan rosen at the three gay at the four aldridge at the five now the lakers like to play small obviously they're playing with lebron at center but if you think about it, we are critical of that Bellinelli contract, and he has not looked good so far to me. Just taking some really, really bad shots, and you know when those don't go in the way they did for the Sixers last year you know he doesn't bring a ton else but they're playing Bryn Forbes over him at the end of the game right I mean like and Bryn Forbes is making essentially the minimum so that's if he's not good enough to play over Bryn Forbes maybe you know that it would have been smarter to go in another direction uh with that two-year commitment for most of the full mid-level exception uh DeRozan is struggling defensively he completely fell asleep on a key three-pointer by Josh Hart with uh, the Lakers down four in the last minute of the game when he really should be in a no threes. Um, I do think that Pop could do more to try to get DeRozan the matchups. Late in games, DeRozan was awesome. Down the end of the game, he hit some good shots, and the Lakers had their own problems with Ingram out of not really having a guy with size to guard DeRozan, and that's the kind of guys he really eats up. But I'd like to see them... Because the Lakers had Rondo on the floor to do some pick and rolls and try to get DeRozan, especially if you're going to have Forbes and Mills out there too. The other team might be going small. And then you also have plenty of shooting around DeRozan that if you go with like a 2-1 or a 3-1 pick and roll, depending on which position DeRozan is playing, then you can really cause some problems for the opposition to get them into a bad matchup where they have to double-team. And then my last observation is that their bench unit... I mean, it's going to be really hard for them to stop people with some of these bench units. I mean, they're playing... Forbes, Mills, Bellinelli, maybe Gay, some other power forward, Bertans, and then Gasol. I mean, that is just, there's like, I don't care which magic wand Greg Popovich is getting from Ollivanders. He is not making that unit defend.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, the magic can be to get them to 15th. It doesn't have to be to get them into the top 10. Yeah. And even that might be too much. I mean, there's only so far you can get with, with personnel. And it'll help when they get Derek White back, just because I think yes. he could be more capable than some of those guys. But I don't think he's going to solve all their problems by any means
0: yeah and this team interestingly enough 29th in three-point attempt rate and second in three-point percentage they're shooting 41 percent from downtown so far all right, we're going to get to the Grizz here. Lots to say about them as well. They're another one of these kind of oddly interesting teams statistically. But first, this from SeatGeek, where I'm actually going to be going to another Bucks game. This will be a good one, actually. Bucks Nuggets on November 19th. And it's not quite time to get my tickets yet, but I found a great deal on SeatGeek last year when I went to a Bucks Wizards game uh, when I was back in Chicago. But the Bulls aren't any good, so I'm going to just drive up to Milwaukee and go there, take my wife, check out the new five-serve forum, and- And it's going to be really easy because SeatGeek has a system where they rank all the tickets based on value. So you just look in the area you want to sit, zoom in, and look for those big green dots. And you can trust that those are the best deals that are available and uh, I think it must have been a typo. I took like a preliminary look at the game and there are courtside seats listed for $58,000. Geek wisely noted that uh, no, that is not a good deal. It, it was a big red dot on that one for the $58,000 courtside seats for a Bucks Nuggets game in November new arena or no that might be a bit of an overpay and SeatGeek of course also aggregates ticket selling sites together so you don't feel like you have to go to a bunch of different sites if for some reason you've yet to try SeatGeek and they were of course the inaugural sponsor of the dunked on basketball podcast which they became the dunked on NBA basketball podcast for search engine reasons You can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase with that familiar Capspace code today. That's promo code Capspace for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And don't forget that Capspace code. Let them know that you came from us all right where are we with the memphis
1: grizzlies memphis is three and two they are plus 4.6 in net rating which puts them 13th in the nba they are 25th in offense third in defense and 538 projections have them in 34 wins which would put them tied for 10th in the western conference where
0: did you want to start on these guys?
1: Well, so let's start with a little bit of an injury update. I was concerned because uh, Chris Harrington had it on Friday that they expected Marcus to play because there was that that weird back issue that he had been dealing with the game before, and Parsons was going to be out for at least another week. While there's no structural damage with Parsons, which is great news, they there was some swelling, so they're being cautious. Totally on board with that, absolutely. But fortunately, Marcus did play in their in their game on saturday when they beat the crap out of the phoenix suns as almost everybody is doing and gasol played 31 minutes 19 and 8 on 8 8 to 16 from the field three six from three so i didn't watch a ton of that game so i I can't speak to how he was moving but at least in terms of those bases you you kind of have some of the story there but it you know it was worrisome that it could be even a much bigger issue and it appears fortunately that it is not
0: yeah this is another team that fattened up on the suns early on especially with devin booker out so their stats may look a, a little bit better but they've had some nice wins they beat utah 92 84 in utah that's a, a big win that utah always seems to struggle with them for some well, reason
1: oh uh, we didn't mention this in the jazz section on the previous podcast they're four and two four wins on the road two losses at home though there's of course a lot of noise in that because their other loss at home was to the gold state warriors
0: yeah and uh, what was uh one of the games of the, of the season so far but that 4.6 net rating i mean at least this isn't one of those situations where they're like way outperforming their point differential and you know when they had everyone healthy last year what were they like seven and five to start the year until colony went down so this is not unprecedented that they'd be playing this well some interesting statistical nuggets with these guys before we're going to talk a lot about Jaron Jackson they have by far the slowest offensive pace after a miss they it takes them 15.6 seconds to finish their possession on average that is 30th in the NBA and this is not a great combination on defense they have the second shortest possessions against them and part of that is because they turn the ball over so much obviously turnovers live ball turnovers lead to faster possessions against you and then not only do they turn it over a lot but when they do turn it over it's leading to a lot of pick sixes because opposing teams have the second fastest possessions off of grizzlies turnovers uh, in the nba and then yeah go ahead sorry
1: oh sorry sorry one other kind of like pace of play stat that i want to mention for memphis this is kind of a broad scale thing that clean the glass does they have played the third highest proportion of their possessions in the half court and they are the fourth least efficient half court offense in the nba so far
0: yeah that that's not too good either and then another thing that is not a great indicator for their defense despite ranking third is they're only forcing 16 percent of opponent shots in the half court to be jumpers off the dribble which is the lowest percentage in the nba generally those are the worst shots is jumpers off the dribble so um we'll see there could be some regression happening here uh and then before we get to jaron jackson Omri Caspi is, like, back to just bombing three-pointers again, just like he did at every stop in the last few years, other than the Golden State Warriors. It really was just, like, something that was in his head, something that didn't agree with him about that situation. Everyone hated him in the locker room by the end of the year. Uh, But he's back and totally comfortable
1: and shooting threes, and he's in the rotation now in Memphis. It's wild. I mean, because he—I think he took, like, two threes after the All-Star break last year, and then he's taken two or more threes in two games and has six total already this season playing you know like about 15 minutes a game in the games he's played
0: let's talk a little jaron jackson now has shown some flashes uh but also i i do have some concerns at least about whether he's being used the best way he could be offensively right now now that's not necessarily to say that they are doing things wrong because he's a very young big and we've seen before that coaches want to help these guys become tougher on the interior you know for example carl towns at kentucky basically didn't take any threes at all even though he came in with that great perimeter skill set and that really helped him become a better post player and most of jackson's offense has been around the rim so far uh it's very interesting that he is much more left-handed even as a right-handed player loves to get back to his left-handed hook whether he's either lowering his shoulder to get to that very often goes to a spin move. He's not really quick enough to face up and beat his man just straight in one direction, but he can spin back most often to that left hand same thing in the post he's done a decent job of getting post position and then he can get to that lefty hook against smaller players he's not really as good against guys his size which is fine you know if he turned 19 it was pretty recently like he was one of the youngest players in the draft so uh, and he's got like a pretty decent skill level in film he's not powering up through guys his size you know he's not really strong enough to do that yet but you know, he is able to draw a decent number of fouls when he gets smaller guys on him and he's posting up right at the charge circle. So that's looked pretty good. Hasn't really done much on the offensive glass. He's played most of his time at the four though with Gasol injured he played a little bit more at the five and you know uh Ivan Rabb is getting some backup center minutes as well but the thing that I'm not as happy about is he's really not being used for his three-pointers like he's not they are not it's not really doesn't seem to be part of the scheme there I would say I mean, have you noticed that in watching Grizzlies games
1: it's a concern for me as well especially because his ability to take and make those shots is arguably his single biggest competitive advantage at the nba level especially you and i both feel that his long game his end game here is as a center i don't think he's going to be an extremely productive post player and you don't need him to be if he can shoot well if he can generate that spacing i mean watch the bucks a little bit and and the difference in having a, a center who's a capable shooter even if he doesn't have to live out there it can make life so much easier on everybody else in the court and part of that is making sure that the other team respects that shot by giving them the opportunity to take it and I've been I I can't say yet that this is like just JB Bickerstaff this is what he's going to be but I've been skeptical of him as an interim head coach before you know this is his chance to have the head job and you brought up the Carl Anthony Towns comparison and there is there is an element here where it's you don't necessarily need to start where you finish like that's totally fine but you do kind of want a guy to have elements of that that end game in there because you're getting used to how the offense is going to flow and everything else like that they have a a lot of guys on this team that will be a part of the team in the next couple of years just because of the contracts they have and so i would like to see it much more often than we have so far especially when he's playing the four because i mean if you have a four that you're that you're not really giving that opportunity to then it's even easier for opposing defenses
0: yeah there are some mitigating circumstances and, and i mean i brought this up i largely agree with you he's only two out of 13 from three that's not enough attempts especially when we just saw the type of versatility that he has just bombing from three and maybe, maybe that was just an aberration and maybe the conclusion is already he's not quite that good yet but he's only two of 13 for three i mean you remember that's that's how many threes he took in one game against the hawks his first summer league game when he was eight out of 13 uh and generally his threes appear to be out you know i watched all of his possessions they're off more improvised action you know it's not the result of him kind of being stationed there flowing there uh in that same vein he's 0 for 4 on pick and pop possessions this year so 4 again that's not really that much you know you'd hope that he could be better out of pick and pop um now, a mitigating circumstance is he plays with Marcus Gasol, and Marcus Gasol is an awesome pick-and-pop big already. He's going to be the primary pick-and-roll partner most of the time, and they're doing a lot of kind of elbow stuff with Jackson, but I would like to see them just station Jackson at the three-point line and uh or or maybe have him space the floor around gasol posting up if they can you know do a cross screen and get a smaller player onto gasol so i i do think but yeah i mean he's spending very little of his time just like spotting up around a pick and roll it's a lot of stuff at the elbows he's handling the ball plenty um another thing i i would uh point out too is that a lot of those three-point attempts happening garbage time against the hawks you know it wasn't when he was playing with the main guy so you know part of it is that he's going to be running into the same real estate as Gasol because Gasol has made himself into a wonderful pick and pop player from three uh but yeah I I think could find some better ways to use that ability that he has also he's not that explosive offensively he only has two dunks on the year um but considering the rest of the team that's actually really explosive uh this team as a whole has six dunks the entire year and one of those is by Jamichael Green who's now out with a broken jaw for a month So uh, not an incredibly exciting squad if you like uh, high flyers.
1: I want to end this on a a more kind of positive note with Memphis. You mentioned something about the times of possessions and everything, but I do want to, like, they're forcing so many turnovers. Like, right now, so they've forced turnovers on 18.6% of opponent possessions, and so there's a positive and a negative that. The positive is, that's an awesome number leading the league, even if it's a small sample is great. The downside is, they're not going to get turnovers on a out a fifth of possessions later on because last year the league leader was at 16 four i think so that's gonna that's gonna come down a little bit and so that'll mean more possessions where they have to defend in the the half court and fewer not that they're maximizing their transition opportunities but fewer of those as well
0: yeah and the value of getting turnovers or avoiding turnovers is higher than it's ever been because on possessions where there isn't a turnover teams are just so efficient these days so the, the opportunity cost of a turnover or the advantage of getting a turnover it is so awesome let's turn to phoenix now they sit at one in five they had a stirring opening night win against the dallas mavericks and then have they even been within 10 points in a game since then
1: yes they were on sunday against oklahoma city the margin was eventually seven in a game that steven adams did not play
0: in. And, and they were down 25 throughout a large portion of that game so that it was really they closed well, it well in yes they were thank time. you for mentioning it yeah yeah this team has been awful uh,
1: so and they th- maybe the answer is they just need to to do the Twitter NBA show on them more often they they needed that those bright lights yeah. because they played a lot better in that game their overall stats just to make sure that we have it in there negative 12.1 net rating is 29th in the league they are 23rd in offense 28th in defense and they're in that morass the three-way tie at the bottom of the Western Conference which would put them at at 26 wins and it's awkward that I think and I don't want to I don't want to belabor this point but I, I just kind of feel like the duality of DeAndre Eaton is just something to mention here. Like, he's having a wonderful offensive season other than not grabbing a ton of offensive rebounds. And also, DeAndre Ayton... i'm sure this is going to come up a ludicrous amount this season he is exactly the type of player as a big that per overrates
0: yeah i mean now he has a 27 per <laughs> that's still pretty fucking good
1: which is awesome uh,
0: and, and i will say this too for all of the, that you want to say oh you know he's one of these players who like doesn't contribute to winning and you know his offensive stats are good and blah blah he actually has the best net rating on the team among the people who actually play he's only negative four uh net rating which is like awesome compared to some these other guys i mean his backup for example tyson chandler has a negative 27.4 net rating uh jamal crawford signed a- and didn't play the first couple of games negative 51.8 net rating uh despite having 72 percent true shooting on his own that was the signing that always made zero sense that's like a total like noob ex-player gm signing of like oh you know he's respected and like wow he's so hard to guard look at all these great moves that he has like yeah you know he uh had like the worst he Defensive rpm among shooting guards in the league last year it was like just a comically bad number um a- another somewhat encouraging stat though is with booker on the floor negative 6.7 net rating so that's not too awful uh but still i mean that's you know with your best player on the floor 6.7 net rating that's you know a 55 lost team um anything else oh, here
1: I want to start with something I'm, I want to start with something positive with Devin Booker he is getting up and making a lot of threes yeah. I mean so Booker his three-point attempt rate has never been higher than 36 percent of his shots it's now at 44 percent and he hasn't lost any of the success rate granted we're in small size theater and his is even smaller because he's only played in four games but that's a, still that's what you want like Devin Booker is a wonderful shooter you want as many of his shots to come from where there were three points as opposed to where they're from two and really when you look at his at his shots what and hopefully this is just a long running thing of kakashkov last season devin booker took 18 percent of his shots from the norm like 10 to 16 feet so that's kind of like the the mid-range mid-range and then he took 14 percent as long twos those are down to seven and six percent respectively that's fantastic that's exactly what you want him to do
0: yeah so the kakashkov effect has been good there tj warren continues to shoot it pretty well although he had a, one jumper that looked like the bad old tj warren today uh you know he's been solid offensively although the numbers with him on the floor are not great but i mean man just some of the stats from these support players trevor ariza is shooting 34 percent from the field although he's at least getting up a ton of threes he's getting up over 10 three-point attempts per 100 possessions josh jackson has not taken the leap in fact under kakashkov just as his summer league foretold still terrible shot selection He is a 43% true shooting right now, 0.5 PER. And 25% usage, because when you're incredibly inefficient, the way to fix that is to take more terrible shots. So uh, until further notice, like wake me up when Josh Jack and Jackson figures it out. Uh, Kokoschkov had some gentle comments about his game after the uh, Golden State game, where I was at his presser along the lines like, oh, you know, he, he's not like a natural pure shooter. Maybe we want him to like pick his spots a little better and blah, blah, But But uh, man, has he been bad so far? And then uh, Dragon Bender, he's played 11 minutes and only gotten into three of
1: I thought we weren't talking about rookie scale options until later. Um, well, yeah. and it it does. The good thing for Phoenix is their schedule gets very home heavy in the immediate. So they have five straight home games. Then they have a two game road roadie where they are playing New Orleans and OKC. They will probably lose both of those. But the problem is they're playing some good teams: San Antonio, Toronto, Boston, in that, and then they have Memphis and Brooklyn. So I think after that stretch, they'll be at 11 games played. We'll have a pretty good idea of where, of the arc of this team, of where they are going this season. That doesn't mean you know they can't get better. Can't it worse but it's like okay. Is is the idea that they're going to be meaningfully better in terms of wins? I think there's a lot of growth, even if this ends up being a disappointing season in terms of wins and losses. There's a lot of growth they can do. Aiden Booker, in particular, figuring out what they have in these bench guys like T.J. Warren. Like, there's a lot of value there, but that might be a, a more healthy way of looking at this season than the idea that they're the most. Im- they're going to be the most improved team in the league. Maybe they'll even be on the fringes of the playoff race. It's possible, but their defense is so damn bad that it seems incredibly unlikely a few other notes uh, on these guys
0: and and again i like kakashkov as a coach but he has just has not been able to have much of an effect and they really you know are at the point where they're kind of giving up in games uh you know getting blown out very early on you know by the end of the first half in in all of these games and this is like five straight that haven't even been remotely close uh their offensive pace is extremely slow 15.2 seconds per possession and they have played at a pretty fast pace the last couple years kakashkov you'll recall comes out of utah and utah is a big believer in moving the ball around a lot they have played at a slower pace generally although this year they're actually up to 13th in that statistic uh going into the dallas game so they're a little bit faster but kakashkov i think wants to try and institute a culture of sharing the ball remember they had a ton of assists against dallas that hasn't persisted as much because they haven't had a a ton of makes since then and so that's not great but they're also turning it over a ton which is another thing that you know these high pass offenses you'll see a lot of they're turning it over on 17.5 percent of possessions that's 29th in the nba they've been a high turnover team already with some of these young guys for the last few years and instituting this offense where you're throwing all these passes which you know might be a good thing overall you're probably going to turn it over a little bit more the more passes that you're throwing. Uh, by the way, Brooklyn is 30th in the NBA, turning it over on 19.5% of their possessions. That's like a college number. That's absolutely uh, insane. And then on defense, the suns have the third fastest pace uh for opponents only 13.3 seconds per possession for opponents that's generally not good now of course those two numbers uh, are going to be negatively correlated right if you have a slow offensive pace you're not scoring you're going late into the shot clock and then you're going to give up a faster pace coming back at you because it's off a miss. but that's still not a great uh combination and when you turn it over a lot to you you're going to inflate. the amount of fast breaks that the opponent has against you so uh that's about all i got on these guys anything else you had
1: no i think that's about it for now we'll have time to do more breakdowns on their guys i'm hoping mikhail bridges can get more minutes so we can but that'll probably be months down the line because he's just not getting enough playing time yet
0: yeah i mean but i think if this continues with josh jackson uh you know i predicted in the summer that bridges would be taking his minutes by the end of the year it might happen sooner rather than later because at least you know bridges at least is Isn't taking as much off the table uh, on offense the way Jackson is. So, before we move on to talking uh, about some of the rookie scale options with this December, or not December, October 31st deadline, come up. I want to tell you about the socks I have on right now. Bombas. They spent two years of research and development, made multiple improvements in design, performance, and comfort, and now these are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I remember back when I was a lawyer, I would wear these socks that would leave me with just this ridiculous sock line that would take like three hours to go away. But with their stay-up technology, your socks stay in place without leaving a mark. They have a proprietary material called soft cotton that makes you never want to take these socks off. They have extra support where you need it most. I really enjoy their no-show socks because they have a pad right on the back of the heel that prevents the back of your shoe from wearing into your heel. That's fantastic they're just the perfect weight as well just uh, enough to keep your feet warm when you're wearing just socks around the house which you know since i'm a podcaster i now never leave the house that's great but they're not like so thick and bulky that when you put a shoe on like it feels weird and you know any feel the way to get started with them is bombas.com b-o-m-b-a-s.com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space and then double cap space use the code cap space to get 20 percent off your first order that's bombas.com slash capspace use that cap space code you get 20 percent off your first order and let them know with that cap space code that you came from us all right why don't you take us through uh one of your more interesting subjects since your controversial but ultimately utterly correct opinion that the piston should have declined the third year option on henry ellison ellenson i should say Uh, And take us through some of these rookie scale options that you think are kind of on the borderline here.
1: So I wrote a piece for The Athletic. Actually, how that started was you and I were always going to do this as a segment on the show. And I like to write out kind of my thoughts on something. And I'm just like, this is basically a piece already. And so I I turned it into a piece for The Athletic and separated it. I'm not going to separate it into the same categories for this, just because I think that's a lot less fun to discuss it because you and I can have a different conversation than my own opinion shared with the great people of the athletic theathletic.com slash capspace but i will start with the same guy which is the aforementioned dragon bender bender fourth year option about 5.9 million dollars and just so people get clarification on what this decision is for all of these teams so rookie scale option that's a guy who was drafted in the first round and is playing on that contract as opposed to somebody like bogdan bogdanovich who waited long enough and is on a very different contract you have to decide on it about a year out so this is for the 1920 season if if you accept it, it's fully guaranteed for that season. And then if you decline it, not only are they an unrestricted free agent, but you cannot pay them more than that declined option amount should they have an awesome season or whatever. And so that that's to prevent a loophole from you know from from going through there. So it is you know it's not necessarily like the end of their t- tenure with that team, but it pretty much is like Kevon Looney's a prominent example of a team declining an option that player sticking around.
0: Yeah, but, but there are not many the way of thinking those, about it uh, because it's usually no.
1: Those are the exceptions that prove the rule. And,
0: and And it's interesting because a lot of times the guys who it makes more sense to decline their option are guys who are drafted really high because those are the ones who actually are making enough money, especially now with this new CBA where... The amount of money that high picks make has kind of been right sized and so you know if you're the number one pick you're making close to 10 million in some of these seasons um real quickly a couple more things to talk about with the rookie scale contracts it's commonly noted noted as four years the structure is two years guaranteed regardless but then you have a team option for the third year. You have to decide on that one before October 31st. That's the deadline that's coming up. So when we're talking about third year option, that's basically the first one that's being decided at the beginning of the player's second season. And then you've got the fourth year option, which is being decided at the beginning of the player's third season. And these contracts go up every year. The fourth year option in particular, it goes up a fair amount. So that's the context in which we are looking at all of this here. So so you mentioned Bender. Uh I mentioned earlier that he's played only eleven minutes. He hasn't been in the rotation. I asked Kakashkov about him in preseason when he wasn't even playing in preseason. And he gave me the usual drack about how, oh, you know, he's everyone's gotta stay ready and you know, this is a competition, and he could maybe get in there and, and as bad as they played, maybe there's some possibility he could still play. But it becomes especially important for a lot of these teams if they're trying to use cap space for next year. And the Suns, despite that Devin Booker extension, will have have a reasonable amount of cap space and so they could get six million more of it if they decline his player option and so it really the question is almost like well would you rather have six million in cap space or pay Dragon bender six million for next year and then have his restricted rights at the end of next year starting to seem like a pretty easy decision sadly
1: bender is only 20 years old as of right now which is crazy and but you're kind of sitting there going even if he becomes a capable nba player whatever that is whether that's a rotation guy starter, whatever it feels to me like it's going to be a while from now like it's it's not going to be when he's 21 or 22 and so if that's the way that it is then having his restricted rights is less valuable even maybe you could get him at a below market contract and the player that i expect him to be if he gets there unless it's like the big jump and he's 20 it can certainly happen but that player is less valuable than the guy that i now overrated in the draft. Actually talked about that with sam vicini on real jab radio if you want to listen to it to talk about like my theory of why i got him wrong and it's just you know he's not a not a dominant you know offense player his usage rate is 13 in his nba in his nba games and he didn't really have that much of a higher usage in summer league which you can think of as a you know a good opportunity for guys yeah. that are talented but, well but remember just he was on pieces. the same
0: team as josh jackson but nonetheless
1: that's true and you know so so with booker I don't think that there is, you know, that there's much of a chance that in the immediate he's going to just blossom and that there's this untapped potential. I do think that you know, five, 10 years from now, certainly could. Like he had, like a lot of what I liked. If you add skill, if he adds physical strength, and I think he could do well in Europe, to where where there just aren't as many players to exploit him. I'm going to bring that up with a couple of guys in this. So I would, I feel pretty confident in declining his option. And what if he becomes a good player next year, a few years from now? So be it. My, and they, and especially because the Suns don't exactly need what he is like it's there's just isn't really a place for him right now
0: yeah and we're going through here in this 2016 draft we're gonna just go down the list uh of guys who plausibly might be declined if if a guy isn't mentioned you can just assume that we think it's a no-brainer to pick it up uh so bender is a no chris dunn a yes uh that's five million and also worth noting here too that these go down the lower you get in the first run so you know ben simmons his fourth year option is eight million by the fourth pick bender we're already down to six million and then once you get down to about the middle of the round you're at three million or below with denzel valentine so dunn is a yes buddy healed actually already has been picked up jamal murray obvious yes Marquise chris talked about in trade rumors potentially to minnesota would be needed potentially for aggregate salary for jimmy butler but i think he becomes a much more valuable trade chip if you don't pick up that option because people you know he just hasn't shown enough that he could be a valuable player at this point in time he's another one of these pretty young guys who's drafted but you know again he's just for four million next year you got to think you can do better than that i don't think he has uh, enough potential and especially for a houston team that is going to be facing tax issues if he does remain on the team and doesn't get traded uh, it seems like they almost have to decline it
1: right and chris hasn't shown enough so far unless he did something in training camp that we that we didn't see and there yeah. obviously well, is Kel- a lot of information Calico, that we don't the have Athletic
0: reported that he came into camp out of shape so i'm guessing that's probably
1: not the case that's that's not a good sign so the chances that chris plays well enough this season to deserve more than 4.1 million Seem unlikely, and he has potential. So I I use I have a bunch of different in my head. I might actually write this out in a piece at some point if there's interest. Tests in my head that I kind of use to calibrate guys' values, and in this situation, I use one that I call the haunting test. And it's what is the chance that declining this option just haunts your franchise? Like you just you cut bait on him too soon, and that you just you didn't see it. Somebody else did, and you get into that. And there certainly is one with Marquis Chris because his physical potential is is that high, but I. I feel okay with it just because he's going to need to his recognition is going to need to get so much better and he's in a I mean we don't know how much switching Houston is going to do moving forward but he's in a system that's really conducive to that he still hasn't like it doesn't appear that even if he was healthy he would be really on the floor that much for them didn't look great to me when I saw him in the preseason so I'm fine declining his option you know it's not to me it's not as clear-cut as Bender just because his physical potential is higher but it's still a pretty easy call and this also brings into stark relief something truly striking though they're not teammates anymore if their current gms agree with me and presumably with us because i think you'll feel the same way on chris that would mean phoenix drafted two guys oh man in the top eight that would get their fourth year options declined 28 months after they were drafted
0: so yeah i, I do agree on chris i think i, I mentioned that but uh, especially for where houston is you know i think bender is less of a no-brainer than than chris just because you know phoenix is probably not going to use cats space that well i still think they can do better you mentioned this haunting test and i think that's a very interesting way to to Frame it because can you think of a single rookie option that got declined that the team is haunted by?
1: I don't think so. I think teams pick them up too much. Yeah, no, so I, I mean I think there's a
0: very hard. good argument there that you should be more aggressive in, in dumping these, especially now again because you know this isn't the case with the 2016 guys. That was the last draft year. These guys in the new CBA are still getting paid more but their cap numbers remain the same as they were under the old CBA. The 2017 guys, that's the new CBA. So they're starting off with higher salaries to begin with. So that actually leads to some interesting questions as well. Uh, But yeah, so, so Chris, I would decline thon maker at 10 i mean he's just shown enough in the playoffs he's not in the rotation right now john henson's been playing well john henson's making three pointers for the bucks he's already got five on the season uh and but maker has shown enough during the playoffs that it's and his number is pretty low too it's 3.5 the bucks are probably not going to be a cap space team next year uh they might be up against the tax potentially Uh, if they bring back Bledsoe and Middleton, but I think he's shown enough. Uh, It was a different regime that drafted him, but I think he's shown enough to keep him, although it's it's one you'd think about. uh, Savonis and Prince already got uh, anything to add on Maker? Sorry.
1: No, I'd pick it up without really any hesitation. I I just think think there's enough there. And also, if... Even if he's out of the rotation this year, unless it's something really horrible, I would expect, this is another way of thinking about these options, that another team would see that $3.6 million and go, fine, we'll take him on. Because remember, a lot of teams are going to have cap space this summer, and a lot of them are going to be left with no chair when the music stops. So they're going to have to do something with their money. And so I actually think a lot of these guys, I'll bring it up with a few other ones, even if the team ends up not really being happy that they with where they ended up in terms of like if, if the bucks have to cut salary, I think they can make that work.
0: Yeah, we'll see what he looks like at the end of this year. So, Sabonis and Prince have already been picked up. Obviously, Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown at the top, Dario Saric, all those guys will be picked up, should be picked up. Um denzel valentine the bulls want to use cap space it's only 3.4 million and again i should add this too we're not saying here's what i'd do if i were gar foreman or john Paxson because to some degree cutting bait on someone makes you look really bad as a gm that's part of why these guys get picked up more than they should we're just saying like hey would you rather have the cap space would you rather have this guy or even would you rather have the roster spot too for some of these guys right um
1: oh that's the other thing i should mention i have a general policy that if you decline an option on a player you should be ready to cut them because in most circumstances that means you don't think they're good enough to be on your team because these options are all pretty low cost unless it's like the top guys like bender and chris and there are exceptions to that and there are certain ones including one coming up where tactically i don't think they should do that but that is the idea the and that's why roster spot is a very very good way to bring it up because it's like those spots they're finite they're valuable and even there's a little bit more wiggle now with the two-way contracts but still very important
0: yeah, I'm just not sure what Valentine is either. I mean, I just I don't see like what his upside is to be a starter. uh And again, you know, he's going into restricted free agency. You're talking about one year of him at this point. And I think I might rather just have 3.4 million to offer to a free agent or just a roster spot to try somebody else, especially with the injury issues that he's had. He's had knee, a lot of knee problems in college. This, this latest ankle issue, he's had surgery on his ankle too. I mean, he can make three pointers, and he's got like this floater that's okay. He can pass a little bit, but I, I'm just not that. That excited about him and it just, it seems like with the bulls in theory trying to use a ton of cap space i might consider declining it i wouldn't he's not one of those guys i would cut right away uh but you know and you figure hey worst case if he has a good year we can always try to re-sign him at that 3.4 million or if he leaves he leaves you know it's but i mean i can't even remember a guy who had his option declined and then got like some massive offer from another team and like like that was more than he
1: could have got paid i'm smiling right now why the church mario hisonia got his option declined and then got paid a bunch of money by the Knicks
0: yeah I guess he got paid more than he would have gotten paid like five he yeah. was do like he got eight million yeah although yeah. although because of that boost to the rookie salaries he probably actually would have made about the same amount of money even though uh, that's a fair point number would have been a little different but uh, but it's the league that fund is being paid for by the league it's not the team that has to pay it um correct yeah so Valentine oh so I should uh, mention
1: yeah. I I didn't even include Valentine in my list partially because I don't know at like three 3.4 yeah. million he can make shots he the, has a the
0: skill it's borderline yeah like, like i'm and, being a little and he's
1: and here. he's a he's a perimeter player like he, he more of it to me more of a two than anything else and you know it's worth having some gambles on that would i rather have justin Holiday at about the same price than him yes but that's not the choice they're making i also don't think the bulls are going to do a whole lot with their gap space nope so well and, and, i mean they and could somebody take might on, roll the dice. Well,
0: let me ask you this, Danny. Uh, we've seen the last two off seasons players making about what Valentine does almost exactly what Valentine does. Jody Meeks, Quincy Pondex are right at 3.4 million get traded for a second round pick. Would you rather have another year of Denzel Valentine and his restricted rights? Or would you rather have a second round pick?
1: If it's 45 or better, I'd rather have the second round pick.
0: And that's, you know, those picks have actually been pretty decent. So yeah, that, that puts it into like, when you throw that opportunity cost out there, even if the bulls are just kind of more into using that cap space to take on bad money mode. All right. Um. So yeah, that that's a no for me. Does that change your opinion at all or no?
1: I, I still would I still would pick it up. I think if if you could find the taker for him, if if you end up really needing that three point five or sorry three point four million. Well, yeah,
0: but I'm I'm thinking of it more in terms of taking on more bad money than then that doesn't become five. No,
1: no. What? I, well, yeah. Well, well, what I'm saying is if the opportunity presented itself, like there are going to be other guys that I use this argument with. Like it's like, hey, the downside risk isn't that high. That's basically the idea because that's a value proposition too. Like if you can. If, even if you don't like the guy, but somebody else might, that still counts because that's just, it's it's another use of it. It takes away, you're not just eating that 3.4 million by cutting him or something.
0: So Juancho Hernan Gomez, number 15 overall in 2016. He's got his fourth year option coming up i would think about this one but you know you and i both believe it in his upside even though he's had a very disappointing career has not had a good start to this season necessarily either but he also hasn't had a chance to play the four which is his natural position there's also a chance they could lose paul Millsap next year probably not going to be a team that's too prominent in the in the cap space derby next year depending on what happens with Millsap, they might have some space but they're not going to have a ton they would have about 16 million if they decline that team option on milsap so not really enough to do anything and there's still this thought that they want to bring him back uh that team option is 30 million for milsap so uh they will be declining that no doubt but th- there's talk that they want to bring him back uh you i guess if we're in agreement with each other then we we don't have to both weigh in on these i guess since big surprise we've got a lot to yeah. say on these um yabasele is an obvious no right
1: he's not an nba player he's a curiosity but he's not an nba player
0: well and especially with this team they're going to be trying to get rid of him this year to get under the tax mm-hmm. and and
1: and that's he's the guy i was alluding to before where they shouldn't cut him because they want to try to trade his money so they can get get under the under the tax
0: yeah and this actually i know he was 2016 draft but this would actually only be his third year option because uh, he spent a year overseas beforehand uh so he'd be due 3.1 next year and uh yeah they should decline the shit out of that uh and uh the next player uh i'm guessing
1: you might feel similarly Henry Ellenson, especially defensively, just doesn't have a place in the modern NBA. He can't protect the rim, so he's not a center, and he can't really switch or defend guys who are his size but actually athletic, so he can't really play the four. And offensively, he's not so good that he overcomes that. And I think there's a meaningful chance that he puts together a pretty good career in Europe where there just aren't as many guys that can take advantage of his limitations. But again, the haunting test is exceedingly unlikely to me that Detroit, a team that their space is actually more or their financial flexibility is more valuable than some people might think because they're going to be pushing right up against the luxury tax next year unless they make some big moves like that 2.9 million is going to make a big difference
0: and their backup front court sucks like they have to get someone who can play there they can't waste a roster spot on this guy like this is that's one of those ones where i would totally be i mean maybe you hold on to him again like just for trade ballast at some point during the season but uh you know it's clear that he's not a valuable player And, and i mean they desperately need backup front court Help and he's still not playing, so that's not a great sign. Um, Malik Beasley, I would pick up. I think that one's pretty obvious. Just uh, he's shown enough, he's a hard worker. Uh, I thought he's had some flashes this season, and it's a pretty low money against the same logic as Hernan Gomez. There, 2.7 million.
1: No argument there. So we can move on to one that surprised me when I went through my exercise for the athletic, which was Malachi Richardson. Malachi Richardson would have been, I mean, when he was traded from Sacramento to Toronto, I fully expected to be like, Oh, that's an easy decline and go through it, but I really like. Liked him in summer league. I thought that he showed more burst. He was more capable in the threes. And then the other complication with Toronto, which I actually think works in favor of Richardson, is they do have financial uncertainty. But if Kawhi Leonard or Danny Green leaves, I think they'll be. I haven't done their full math yet. But if in in, like the specific hypotheticals, but I think they would probably be reasonable in terms of the tax. So at that point, it's like, well, you know, he's he's a possible fit. He's out of the rotation now. By things like the haunting test, I think you could probably let him go. But he looked so much better this past year. And Sacramento, I mean, it's just one of those circumstances where sometimes you want to give those guys an extra bit of leeway because maybe they were just in such a screwed-up circumstance that they didn't have the chance to shine.
0: They have so many other options there there on the wing, though. And they are going to be a tax team. And the plan is for Kawhi to come back. If they do that, they will be a tax team again next year, almost certainly. And I just don't think he's shown enough. I mean, he's he's been in the rotation a little bit. But, you know, that seems like another one of those ones, too, where, like, Hey, you know what? If you want to bring him back, you can just pay him. You know, worst case scenario if he you could give him, you know, the Austin Rivers the most you can pay him, but you know, a second year player option or something like that to entice him to come back. It just it seems so unlikely to me. Like it, it's and it's because of their tax situation. If they were a little bit lower, uh then I might see it differently. But for a guy who just hasn't contributed, making above the minimum, you don't know what their roster needs are gonna be next year, but he probably doesn't fill any of them. Um I, I agree with you in summer league, but he just still hasn't shown enough to me Uh, and with their tax situation with them trying to be good the idea that he's going to contribute to you in the playoffs seems unlikely so I think you know the roster spot the money uh, I would go in another direction.
1: Ante Zizic I would be a lot more challenged with this decision if he were on another team 2.3 million but Cleveland's not going to be a cap team this coming year. Zizic is interesting he is kind of a dinosaur in that he's a traditional center that can't really do a lot else but I like him as an offensive rebounder has kind of an intriguing skill set so if he was on another team like if he was on toronto i would absolutely I, I would seriously consider and probably decline this option but he's on the Cavs, so why not pick it up
0: yeah i, I agree with you there uh we'll see whether uh the voice of head coach decides to play him more uh, as their season continues to go off the rails tlc timothy luau Cabarro. again because of okc's tax situation i think i probably would decline his fourth year option he has not really played at an nba level yet he has some skills he's going to get some chances this year although you know he's clearly behind diallo in the rotation he's clearly behind ferguson even now and he's older than ferguson he's gonna be 24 Uh, Oh, no, that's actually was drafted 24th. But, you know, he's, he's right around that range at this point. He's a little older when he came over. So not a guy, you know, if you were on a different team, I might pick it up. But OKC with their tax issues, with their need to try and compete now, if he's not contributing now and he's making above the minimum, i think you can go in another direction there I mean, they did the same thing with josh hustis last year and i don't think they're regretting that
1: at all i don't think they're regretting it with Hustis. i'd pick up tlc but that's more for me liking him as a player i i respect the angle that you took on it with okc's specific concerns and this is also one where i fully expect sam presti to pick it up but just in case there's ever a big difference here because sam presti deliberately acquired him like that he didn't have to be a part of that trade yeah we'll see and what they so think
0: of him I, at this point it, it wouldn't shock me i i if i had to bet you i bet you they declined interesting they, they Did it with Houston, and Houston was a guy he actually drafted.
1: Yeah, but Houston also was less good than TLC, in my opinion, meaningfully less good. Um, let's let's get to another guy that that Philly drafted in that class, Furkan Korkmaz. Korkmaz. So this is his third year option. He was as the twenty sixth pick, so it's only two million. This is another guy in that logic that I've said before of like I, you know, I'd be there going to be a cap space team, but I feel like somebody if they got to the point where they're like, hey, we really need that. $2 million somebody would say fine we'll take we'll take Korkmaz on maybe they would even have to give in any sort of asset even if the season doesn't work out but one other thing I wanted to mention with Korkmaz is I mean he doesn't have a lot of buzz like this is yeah. it's not you're talking not talking about popular perception with him but it is amazing how much of that whatever exists is based on one summer league game when he dropped that 40 piece
0: yeah I would think it's a no-brainer to keep him on but were it not for Landry Shamet playing so well, but we'll see Shamet. Maybe he just, you know, he, he, they're running him off the screens. He's shooting like he can make it, but maybe we'll look up three months into the season and he's shooting 31% on threes and it's not worth it. And Cork will get an opportunity. I agree with you. I mean, I think they if they really desperately need that space... That they could always stretch him if they have to. He'd only count of six hundred K or they could move him. They have still have a billion second round picks in Philly. So I guess I would hold on to him. Um, you know, they could use his microwave score kind of skill set. I mean, he's a little bit more of a pure score than someone like Shamit or JJ Redick. So there's a slightly different role maybe available for him there. Um so twenty eight and twenty nine, Scal and DeJounte Murray have both been picked up already.
1: We should briefly mention for the sake of completeness that Siakam's an easy yes.
0: Oh yes, yes. And, and DeAndre yes, Bembry, we didn't talk about either. He actually we were that that one kind of raised some eyebrows with me. But again, with the Hawks where they are, and his three ball is actually looking a lot better this year. Uh so I, I understand why they picked it up. Uh, you know, that was one where we he really hadn't been shooting the three at all, but he looks better with that. So, you know, if, and he's got some other skills. Damian Jones is an interesting one. We were both saying they should have declined his option for this year. and he been off the team already they have massive luxury tax concerns going into next year when they face the repeater tax but it's a pretty low number it's only a little over two million the veterans minimum would be about 1.5 if they bring someone else in so you're saving 500k There against the tax which you know where where they're the bracket they're in that could end up being like 2.5 million but you don't want to be a
1: repeater next season
0: yeah that's that's right so honestly i don't think he's any good um you know he's playing he's getting good pub you know steve kerr loves to pump these dudes up but he plays basically all of his minutes with the starters and he only has a 3.1 net rating so on court 3.1 net rating off court 16.0 net rating, (laughs) and they really have struggled to score with him on the floor he's not despite the fact he can get up and crush some alley oops you know he's just so clunky trying to like handle the ball on the perimeter and like you know doesn't make good decisions and then defensively i think he uh, still has a very long way to go um and they're going to have cousins cousins won't be on the team next year but there are just so many other options at center i think it's more even just the opportunity cost of the roster slot that your chances of getting someone better than him for the minimum are pretty high and then you know it could also just be a kavan looney type of situation too the market won't be as tight next year but and also even looney himself you know i i looney is way better than him you know that's another one where you might want every penny you can have to bring back looney uh who they'll have full bird rights on next year after declining his option uh jordan bell is better than him he's gonna be a restricted free agent so it's just like why give anything more to the minimum to this guy who i think is inadequate as a starting center right now maybe it develops into it but uh you know i mean and you're only talking about one year if he's going to be so good you're only talking about one year before he gets expensive and restricted free agencies so i i would decline it i don't think he's good um do you disagree with me
1: i do disagree not stringently but i do for a couple of reasons one is every single other warrior center is a free agent and most of them are unrestricted and while jones his limitations are very apparent to us you know especially like his, his defense, he makes blocks, and so sometimes people think he's better at defense than he was. but there were like a, a bunch of botch pick-and-roll coverages early in the Nets game. And while you can't say for sure that that was Damian Jones, it's Damian Jones and other guys that have been a part of really good defenses, so I have a pretty good guess. Yeah, and
0: they had to start and, switching at the, in the second half of that game yeah, because of that. they
1: did. And so, but they were offensively, the Warriors know how to use a guy like him. Kerr likes to have one of those kind of JaVale-style centers on the roster, and there actually aren't that many of those guys guys in the league like they, you know but he's and like Jones, not even other... really one
0: of those guys that much like like he can eh. get up for some lus but he's just not he's not like a good finisher he doesn't get to the right spot that much like if I he mean, he's throw... not a,
1: he's definitely not as good as javel for no. for sure because javel is actually a really think... good
0: finisher on non-ducks around the agreed too.
1: like javel javel's his gifts might be underappreciated because he and, and i agree with you like he's put in this circumstance playing with four all-stars and all that kind of stuff i i completely agree with all that i just think he's kind of like well if you pencil him in for for one spot then you're you're okay with it and it's good to have somebody who has physical potential even if he doesn't figure it all out because maybe he does and then remember with with him with it being a fourth year option now it's just restricted for agency if if it doesn't work you just decline the qualifying offer and then it's it's fine i mean you're right that you're only getting one year of value and that's a fair concern to make but the upside of just having that much more control over it the qualifying offer also won't be very high with him so you could even have a certain circumstance where if he doesn't blow up you could play the game of going until the withdrawal withdrawal date and then you know you figure it out from there so i'd pick it up i i'm i was reluctant it was one of the closest calls on my entire board but i decided to pick it up
0: yeah no way We'll see. Maybe Kura's made me eat Kura on some of these guys before, in particular Looney. Um, But I've been right on a few of his other Kumbaya projects as well, like, uh you know, Farajau, Azili, Game 7, 2016. You remember that? uh But yeah, that'll be a show. So what do you think they will do? You think it's a no brainer? They absolutely will pick it up? Or do you think they, they won't? I don't think it's a no-brainer, no brainer, but I, I think expect that they, they will. Because they, they might be emboldened by what happened with Looney last year to take the same route with Jones.
1: They might. And I think they could absolutely approach it this coming off season with, hey, Hey, if we get one of those two guys back, we're fine. And they just have two bikes at you it. This. That...
0: Do you think anybody would like affirmatively want to trade for him right now? Like if they're just like, hey, you can just take this guy in your cap space. You know, like, like pretend it was the off season right now, and team just had cap space. And they're like, hey, you know what? You want to take Damian Jones in your cap space just for free? Would you do you want him?
1: I could imagine a team, like for whatever reason, the one that came into my head was Atlanta. Just they don't really have that kind of project center type of guy. Also, Schlank was, I believe, in the front office office when david yes. jones was selected so that would be a factor as well it's borderline well so i mean prob- I, maybe there would be yeah it was funny it was funny one of the teams i thought could use somebody like him is washington but they certainly would not because of their luxury tax stuff yeah it's I hard mean, to find a team right it That's is i the, mean the it's a, it's a good example market. of how the center position yeah. is yeah I mean yeah there there's absolutely a cogent rationale behind your process on this.
0: All right, we can go through these second year guys more quickly especially since most of them have been picked up. <laughs> Although there are a couple that have been picked up that I would have maybe thought about here. We don't have to mention everybody. But Marco Fultz is an interesting one. Uh be just because the number is so high, 9.7 million for next year and then, you know, his fourth year which you don't have to pick up now would be 12.2 million, but I think you have you pick it up anyway because there would be a team that would be willing to trade for i know they have these cap space aspirations next year but you know he's, he's made some progress he still has a, a lot of magic in those handles getting to the rim he's a solid passer uh has that athletic ability if you wanted to say hey yes or no is markel Foltz going to be a nine million dollar player next year my answer would be probably not but considering the, his pedigree the idea you could potentially trade him and, of course, just the big upside potential that he still has, though it grows more remote by the day. I think you would pick it up. Anything to disagree with there?
1: No, nothing. I agree with it completely. Uh, we don't have to talk about Jason Tatum.
0: Nope. Or Alonzo uh, Ball. I mean,
1: yes. Do you want to talk about Josh Jackson? <sighs>
0: man i mean i I
1: just 7.1 million dollars
0: i just don't see how he gets there Danny. i mean and i felt i was very much down on him to begin with but then just now maybe the hope is just like he can grow into being a solid defensive player you know i don't think he has too far to go there And the hope is if he just played differently, if he took on a lower usage role and got to be a pretty good shooter, then he could be a valuable player. He can pass a little bit when he's not jacking off awful off the bounce 20 footers. But, you know, I don't think there's any kind of a chance for him to be an offensive star. I don't think he's gonna be elite defensively as like a real stopper. He could make plays, but he's a little bit too skinny to really guard the absolute best guys. He's one of the worst players in the NBA right now. This isn't part of our analysis, but it was an old it was a different GM who picked him. I think I would decline it. Now
1: I would I would seriously consider it, but yeah. I'm gonna give a counter argument here. And what i what I'm thinking about here is the opportunity cost for Phoenix in particular. So my theory on the Suns is that it makes a lot more sense for them to be a twenty twenty. Cap space team than a 2019, yeah. both because of a supply issue, but also just a roster clarity and everything else issue. And so, you know, that's yeah, Devin Booker is going to be paid a lot of money, and they're also going to get a bunch of other draft picks that are going to cost a lot because they're not good this year. I mean, there's a pretty decent chance they won't be good next year, if, especially if they don't spend money. So then at that point, Anderson's off entirely, and and what well, Danis is going to be off either way, and so you they're probably going to have something in the realm of. 35 million to work with depending on how how bad their how strong their picks are and and then if you decline josh jackson then then you're starting to talk about 40 like if you decline his fourth year option you'll have a lot more information you can do it do it at that point and so and then this year you know getting that extra 7.1 it does really you know that that can help but i think i would rather just roll the dice one more time because like you said i think there's a good player in there i think there's potentially even a not not great but maybe like very good player somewhere in there and so give kakashkov a full year to say yeah, and that, basically that's, tell him that,
0: that's probably what it is really it, it is just yeah, the, you say the, a real coach he hasn't had a real coach yeah for you, time yeah
1: yet. and what you say is okay you get one more year if you don't if you don't deliver either you'll be on a different team or we'll decline and or we'll decline your option or both and it's for me it's worth that 7.1 in a year that you're not I, I mean I don't think anybody's going to the Suns this coming year if the team if the if they're one of the five worst teams in the league this year as encouraging as Booker and eight are I mean especially when you consider that most if not all unrestricted free agents are older those guys aren't going to, like Chris Middleton's not going to be sitting there going oh man I need to go to the Suns unless they pay me like a crap load more than anybody else but I think Milwaukee's going to pay him. So I would roll it one more year, give him that year, give kakashkov that year, and then I would be expecting to decline his 8.9 million option for 2020.
0: Yeah, it really comes down to, yeah, there may not be a cap space team, although if they dump his 7 million and they dump Bender's 5 million, then they're actually at 20 million in cap space. That's something that you could do something with. They could even move on from Anderson uh and get up to almost 25 million next year. Again, with how bad we expect their season to be, it's it's looking like they will likely you know be more of the take on bad money type of mode but you know i mean that could be enough to take on a first round pick even just for one year a bad seller and then they could still be in the 2020 mode uh I and mean, you think anybody offers josh jackson more than 7 million in free agency next year
1: and he'd be an unrestricted free agent so they yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't have to wait through that whole process <sighs> i imagine somebody yeah. could it wouldn't it's be possible. like us if we ran a team it's but yeah it's I, been, I could i could yeah it's been why does it feel like orlando would do that i don't know why that it's yeah. not even the same regime that i would I, like it's not hand again but it feels like they're like one of those teams it's like hey he's athletic we can we can get him to figure it out
0: yeah i mean this isn't a no-brainer for me it's it's close i think i probably would decline it in part just because i think as you're saying teams should probably be more aggressive with these all right we scroll all the way down now I don't see anybody else in here until you get to Justin Patton number 16 just basically hasn't played at all he's had all these foot injuries I don't know what the state of his foot is but I mean I think it's just you probably just pick it up the Wolves aren't going to have cap space next year they could have some tax concerns but probably not if Butler is gone which uh, appears inevitable but you know if they move on from Gorgie Jang uh, as well you know maybe he could be a part of a Butler trade and then they might actually have a need of a backup center Taj Gibson will be a free agent. So maybe they could keep him around and they just haven't seen enough of him. They obviously saw something to draft him. I thought it was a really weird pick given the glut of big men they had at the time. And he didn't pop out to me with what little film I watched. but it probably would pick it up, I guess. Uh, DJ Wilson struggling with a hamstring injury right now, the bucks looking at potentially a pretty big tax bill. He's not playing at all. This is one of those ones, Danny, I might even consider cutting him immediately. Um, cause they got plenty of like salary ballast here too. I think, um, maybe, it, or maybe not cut him immediately until you found something that you liked better but you know i I, they just haven't seen much from him it worth noting that it was this same regime although this regime was quite nascent when they did draft dj wilson as i recall i can't remember when yeah i think horst was brought in like right before the draft last year officially although maybe i'm no maybe i'm forgetting that maybe it was the like justin zanuck is still running it in the interim days so maybe this isn't the organization's pick and there's been some rumors that he could be in danger uh but he hasn't shown anything in summer league um other than the ability to like shoot okay from the outside but not amazing and like kind of be a switch guy but he's soft as hell uh so I, i probably would decline that one
1: Yeah, I said that he was the closest call just because Wilson has a lot of physical potential, but he's looked so much like a dependent player rather than a guy who can really create seams in a defense. And so if that's athletic guys that don't really force you to defend them actively are not as valuable in the league as some people think. Also, as a note, I just looked it up. John Horst got the job. He was announced as the GM on June 16th, 2017. (laughs) So he was in the room, but whether that is his pick or not is a question that I am not yeah. disposed. I, I to I mean, answer. It,
0: it was in theory on his watch, I guess. So uh, yeah. Um. All right. What do we got next here?
1: Do you want to talk about T.J. Leaf? His option already got picked up. It was two point eight million. I mean, hey, he's actually been Indiana. like
0: slightly effective he's here. Been, yeah, uh. Early okay. on, I, mean, I, I, I like think. I, I think
1: I would have picked his up. I think I would have picked it up. I mean, yeah. They're a Caps-based now team when next that, year, but uh, yes, and and when that option goes to four point three million for his fourth year, we might have a different conversation. But yeah. at two point eight, no, I, it's not I,
0: and there's i mean there are minutes for him to take right now and so we'll get a better idea potentially of what he can do um harry giles has been picked up as well he's been awful in the early going we'll talk about that later in the week when we finish out the 15 and 60 but it's still a long way to go for him so i mean i think you have to pick it up he's only played you know five nba games in his career at this point Um, who else we got here? Tyler Lydon.
1: Yeah. Lydon, the 24th pick $2.2 million option. I felt uncomfortable about it, but I said to pick it up just because, I don't know, he's kind of intriguing a little bit. He showed me a little bit more in summer league, just, just general capability than I expected. And because my instinct is that what Denver ends up doing, that they're not really pushing right up against the line. I think they'll be okay next year. So if they have to do it, it's kind of like Korkmaz for me, except that he's not as good as Korkmaz, where there's a chance that that 2 million burns you, but that chance seems pretty low. So you might as well just keep him around if you, if you think yeah. there's something that might be there
0: if there's something that sexy that you can do i mean he has shown some he has some ability to block shots he was shooting more confidently and league. he had the injury last year basically he hasn't played at all at the nba level but trey lyles is a restricted free agent he could be leaving guancho you know who knows what happens with him paul milsap could be gone as well they don't have a g-league team this year so who knows how much we're going to get a chance to see of him he could still be assigned of course but yeah i don't uh, i was on the borderline as well but it's so little 2.2 that if there's anything that sexy you can do next year you can get, you can get rid of that money if you absolutely have to um Caleb Swanigan for Portland still again only 2.0 million he's already been picked up but i would have thought very seriously about declining that one and same thing with Tony Bradley in Utah
1: bradley is actually more egregious to me because centers are just a dime a dozen right now i mean and, and i haven't seen bradley in either of his summer leagues i haven't seen the physical potential in him that makes me think oh my god like you you really want to keep you want to roll oh, the no, it's on a that really quick second
0: jump danny you,
1: you didn't notice that i didn't notice that <laughs> Uh, and with Swanigan, that, that, I just don't that's understand. That's the
0: party line of, uh, of like, yeah, what on. Yeah, I'm more. Uh, yeah, well, like, uh, with, for, uh, for the with, listeners. With Bradley... I, I know you're aware of everything, but the, the yes. listeners may not yeah. have
1: heard that. Yeah. Uh, but but so, like, with Bradley, I just don't see that. I mean, you you talked about the idea when we were doing with Damian Jones, I think, about the difference between the, a veteran's minimum and that. And it's not that big with Tony Bradley, but I expect that any center you could get for the veteran's minimum would be a substantially better player for the Utah Jazz who have lofty aspirations. And while they've been deep this year, remember Derek favors might be a free agent. Again, Ek Paudo is going to be a free agent again. I, they might, they might need to actually use this roster spot and, and roll the dice a couple times. And then with, with Caleb Swan again, I just don't understand what he is at the NBA level. It, I haven't seen that much of him to like actively dislike it. But when I watch him, I just go, well, what the hell are you going to do against actual NBA players? So I would have declined it just really on that rationale. Yeah. And I it just, just like I'm sitting there going, well, yeah, it's 2 million, but you could do many things with two million and also with i mean their their team has a lot of still has a lot of money on it i don't know what's going on with farouk and so i i would dec- i would have declined his as well
0: here's another way to think about it with those guys too you're like eh, hey, you know two million it's not that much like why not just keep them around it's like well Swanigan and bradley aren't gonna play it all this year uh you know bradley is the fourth center on the depth chart for example Swanigan is probably behind myers leonard not to mention zach collins and yusuf nurkic so how exactly is it going to happen that even if you decline the option if you want to bring him back for the max you can pay him that he's going to have a better offer than that and this way if he just you're totally dissatisfied with his progress by the end of the year then you can just you have the ability to move on
1: well, and not only that, that's a great point, but beyond that, what is the opportunity cost of Caleb Swanigan versus somebody else who right. plays the same position who's available for the yeah. minimum? So, like, even if you lost in him.
0: theory, you know, I mean, like, like, even if he's not that good, but at least it's someone who like, okay, I understand like how this guy can be effective.
1: Like, Alfon- uh, he's, he's more of a forward, but like Alfonso McKinney, like, I would much rather have Alfonso McKinney on the Portland Trailblazers this year than Caleb Swanigan.
0: And with that, I think it is time to depart here. Uh, Anything to talk about before we go?
1: So on, I think it came out on Friday afternoon, I recorded Real Jam Radio with Sirith Sohi. We talked a lot about the Raptors and their fascinating start to the season. And we talked a little Lakers because we can't help ourselves from talking about the Lakers. And my piece on these general topics, I didn't talk about the guys whose options had already been decided because it was already at like 1,300 words. Is at The Athletic? You can read that. And I have a piece that I'm working on about McKinney and Jurebko that will probably be out sometime in the in, around when people listen to this. So I've been working on kind of theories of their rotation and we'll see what happens with that
0: all right thanks so much for listening and uh we'll talk to you on tuesday probably do a gamer there and uh finish up the 15 and 60 probably on wednesday actually since there's a warriors uh, home game that night so we won't be able to record live in the evening but uh we'll be here all this week talk to y'all then
1: you must love hoops if you're enjoying another great episode of dunked on the locked on podcast network has more hoops for you locked on has a podcast on every nba team if you're a Lakers fan, a Bucks fan, a Celtics fan, or a Mavericks fan, the Locked On Podcast Network has a daily podcast on your favorite team. All 30 NBA teams have a daily podcast at Locked On. Search on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.